You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. How we doing? Good to see y'all. Y'all back. I like seeing a lot of faces that have been scattered for a while. So uh, if you are new, my name is Simon. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, glad that you've joined us. If we haven't met yet or before, uh, come find me at fellowship time or up front after the, uh, the service. I'd love just to connect with you a little bit more and, and chat about how you heard about us. So we are currently in our series of pillars. And last week we talked about the idea of gathering big. And this week we're going to move into this idea of gathering small. And as I was thinking about it, my mind, my mind drifts in weird spots. So you're going to have to come along for the ride as you kind of think in my mind. But uh, I started looking up some of the top grossing TV shows and sitcoms of all times. So here's what we're going to do. This is where the interaction part takes place. Name some of your favorite TV shows over the years. Okay, Seinfeld's been taken. You can't keep saying it. We, we, we got that one. Nash. Nash, Nash yeah. That was a Saved by the Bell. <laughs> so, Family Ties, yeah. So there's, if you start thinking about these TV shows, as I looked them up, this is what I found as the top 10 grossing of all time. Um, the Simpsons, Friends, Modern Family, Big Bang Theory, Cheers, Frasier, Seinfeld, Everybody Loves Raymond, Grey's Anatomy, and Two and a Half Men. Those are the top grossing of all times. You're like, well, mine wasn't named. It's okay. Because here's the thing, chances are the shows that we watch and rewatch and leave on repeat in our house all the time when we're doing, you know, whatever chores we're doing have something in common with the ones that you watch as well. If you start to look at these shows that we spend time and money and energy within, it all has the same theme and the same idea, doesn't it? It all revolves around a, a smaller group of people doing life together, living around each other, interacting in some way, shape, or form. And not all shows are like that, but for the most part, most shows revolve around that idea. Now, the plot may change, and the backdrop may change, and the time periods may change, but there is something about humans that like to watch other humans doing life, don't we? It's a weird thing if you start to think about it. Um, what we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how we are going to focus in on what God would call his family, the church, and how it functions in these ways. Now, if we start to think about this idea of watching community and lives play out, there's something very safe about it, if you realize it. Like, we like to do it because it's safe. Well, why? Because we can watch from the sidelines. We can watch these people interact in good and bad and, and fun and not fun. And we can go, oh, I would do this or I would do that. And there's no, there's no life change for us when we watch another community interact, is there? So we can, it's a real safe environment for us to go, oh, that, that's them, that's not me. And I can laugh and joke about it and it'll be okay. Here's the thing, we like to be spectators. But you know what the problem is with life? It's not a spectator sport. Life was never designed to be a spectator sport. We are always going to interact with other people all the time. There are going to be times of conflict and times of joy, and there's going to be hard times and sadness and loss and struggle, love, anger. See, we're all fascinated with this idea 
Everyone is engaged in community in some way, shape, or form. We all have it. It could be our family that we live with. It can be the place that we work. It can be where we have our recreation. But what I want to talk about specifically today is the community that God has made and designed and how it's extremely different. It's a very special kind of community that he has given as a gift to the world and to each other. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with this idea. I want to start kind of big and I want to work our way down. I want to build a basis for why we're talking about community this morning. So the first thing we're going to talk about is community that's been modeled by God. We want to understand who God is in this area. And I'm going to do a flyby of something that's extremely difficult to understand that many people have written about. But the idea is that the Trinity exists. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to hit that in like about 30 seconds. So you're not going to get a lot of coverage on this idea. But I want to give you the general thoughts and ideas of God in community as the Trinity. Now, if you go to our, our website, if you go to anything that has our information, there'll be a statement of faith that we have from Grace Hills. And our statement of faith on the Trinity says this, God is the creator and ruler of the universe. God is, uh, <clears throat> sorry, my throat is killing me this morning. God has internally existed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal and are one God. Now, um, we're going to have a lot of verses up on the screen today. I'm not going to read them all. Note takers, this is your cue to write those down. And this is your cue to go and look those up later and do all your research. I don't have time to read all of them. And then you can bring those up during your life groups, which is what we're talking about today. So all those verses pertain to this idea of who God is and existing in three persons. But how I describe the Trinity when I talk with people is how you can see all of those working in conjunction before anything was created. We see first in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was God, right? And the, the Spirit of God was hovering over all of that, right? So you see that God is present and the Spirit is over that. And then what we do is if we go to John 1, 1 through 3, says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and all things were created through Him, right? Who's the Word? Jesus. That's right. So we see that in the beginning, Jesus was there and was a part of the creation process, okay? So we see these things taking place, and then when we get there's this great verse that helps us understand what's going on. In Genesis 1, 26, and it says, Then God said, let us, whoa, what? That's plural. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So what we see very quickly is that God is this thing that we have a hard time understanding because there's nothing to compare him to. There is one God, yet he is distinct in these three persons and how they function, yet still one. It's hard to kind of grasp that concept, but that's what it's saying. And the reality is this is that God exists in perfect community. He is not lacking in any way or in anything of who he is. And I need you to understand this idea. God is not in want. God doesn't lack. He is perfect and complete in and of himself. He did not make humans because he was bored. He, that, that is not why he created humanity. And, and the thing that you need to understand is he doesn't need us. You're like, I don't like this message already, Simon. I'm so sorry. God doesn't need us. As a matter of fact, the contrary is true, right? We need him desperately. 
Without him, we have nothing. And that's the big idea is that we desperately need to be him, with him. We are made in his image, as it says in verse 26. Well, what does that mean? It means that if we are made in his image, our want and desire and need for community is written on our hearts. It's actually a part of our very DNA of who we are is that we are communal beings by nature because that is how we've been created. This is why I believe that we are so focused on other people and watching other things all the time because we see it, we understand it, we know it's good, and yet we yearn for it all the time, don't we? Even if it's a few people, we want to be in that kind of community. The other thing I want to look at is Jesus in community. Jesus was a man who was constantly in community all the time. His ministry evolved around community all the time. Now, when I was interviewing for my role at this church, they asked me, Simon, what's your philosophy of ministry? Like, what do you believe the church should look like and how it should function? And I gave them an equation. I said, 72, 12, 3, 1. Then I said, hike. And they said, why? What, what, is, what is that? And what you do is if you start to look at how Jesus lived in community, these numbers represent how he lived his life and who he lived it with. We forget at times, we think of the disciples, and what do we think of? I think of the 12, right? But if you realize this, there was 72 people that followed him around. And at times he would send them out to do different things. He would send them out to cast out demons and to go do miracles and to show the power of God that was moving amongst his people. And he would do that. And those people kind of flowed around him throughout his ministry. And I would say that is the large gathering of the church. In this room, we're probably looking at about 85 to 95 people in this room right now. It's a very similar size as to what the larger gathering of the church looks like. And I can know some of you more than others, and we can kind of know each other, and we can be acquaintances, and that's sort of how that is. There's a known part, but it's not super deep, is it? Well, then we get the 12. And we said that the 12 was those core guys that Jesus spent the majority of his time with. They were kind of the inner circle of his friends that he gave more time and explanation and understanding to. Usually they were the closest to him. They knew uh, Jesus well. Jesus knew them well. And they kind of knew each other pretty well, didn't they? You see little grumblings at times between them and like, I want to be important and no, I'm important. All those things happen. And so they had this connectedness. We would call that something like the life groups, discipleship groups, small groups, whatever you want to name, you want to put in front of groups. That's sort of what they had there. Mark 4, 1 through 20 is a great example of kind of how this interaction took place. He gives the parable of, of the sower and the seeds, right? He goes to different paths and they throw the seed down and they all grow in different ways and there's problems between all of it. And he finishes this parable and everyone walks away and they're like, huh? That, that was, that's a paraphrase that I give on that. And so then what ends up happening? Well, in, in Mark 4, what we see is that they pull Jesus aside, his group, and says, and when he was alone, those around him in the 12 asked him about the parable. He says, hey, Jesus, can you, can you explain this to us? And so as Jesus had just communicated God's word to his people, they took time to focus in on that idea and to explain it, and to understand it, and to grasp the concepts that Jesus was trying to communicate to them. Well, then we see that we have the three, 
right? We've got Peter and James and John. They were kind of that, that, that really close group. That's more of like a discipleship kind of group. And what you see is that these guys were invited to, to very different times in the life of Christ, weren't they? When the little girl was raised from the dead, those were the three that were in the room. At the Mount uh, Transfiguration, when Jesus kind of like shined, they, they got to see his glory. Who were there? Those three guys. And they were all very interactive. So there was a much deeper and personal, there was more vulnerability. They interacted in different ways and God spoke into those lives. Those are kind of those discipleship groups that we need to have where we can be a little bit more known than in the large group. See, we can know each other here, but we can really know each other in a life group and then we can really know each other in discipleship. But then we get to the one. You're like, well, that's kind of a, it's almost like the one is like a twofer, which makes no mathematical sense, but that's really what it is. We know that Jesus had one guy that he really loved. Who was that guy? John. That's right. As a matter of fact, he loved John so much, when he was on the cross, he said, behold your mother, saying, I want you to care for my mom. It's kind of a big deal. Like, you know, God would say, take care of my mom while I'm away. Okay, Jesus, that's a big deal. So they had a very unique relationship, but that's not all that that actually means. Because Jesus did something all the time, didn't he? Didn't Jesus sneak away often? Didn't Jesus go to desolate places? And what was he doing? He was praying. Who was he in relationship with? God the Father. And we see that he is always in community, always in relationship. And that one relationship between God and Jesus is what fed everything else, didn't it? And all those things feed themselves. And that's what we see happening like, it was so modeled by Christ because it was so, so essential to who we are as individuals that we aren't meant to be alone. And so Jesus shows us in the large setting, in the smaller setting, in the very small setting, in the personal setting, that we must be in community, that we are communal beings. I, I, say, it, I say it all the time but I just need us to understand it. Jesus will never ask us to do something that he hasn't done perfectly already. He's not like, hey, this is good for you, but I can do whatever I want. That's not who Jesus is. That's not how he responds. See, like this Christian faith was always designed to be in community all the time. It's not to spectate it, but to be a part of it. We learn how to be like Jesus when we exist in community like Jesus. Now, I love our, my life group. I, have a, I was going to make everyone stand. If you're in my life group, raise your hand. You better raise your hand. I know who all of you are. If you do not raise your hand, it means you don't like me. These are my people, and I am their people. It's not like I have control over that. We're, we are a family that does life together. We enjoy getting to spend time as a community. As a matter of fact, when we met this week, I couldn't get him to leave my house. Like, we hadn't met in a while. I was like, we just hung around. It was, it was like way later. And I'm like, wow, this is what happens when we don't meet. We all kind of just want to be around each other. We actually enjoy each other. We don't do it perfect, but we do what we can. It is one of the highlights of the week. And I'm usually by, by for me, it's Thursday night, and I'm done by Thursday but it is the highlight of my week every week when these people get to come and be a part of our lives in our home and we get to talk about Christ, who he is and what's going on in their life. See, everything that we do revolves around Christ. And so what we have is this next part is how does the church live out this community? It's no secret the book of Acts is the book that talks about this very idea. 
what the early church looked like, how it acted. And it would be silly of me not to use the exact same passage that I used last week. Because last week's passage is so appropriate for what we see in the church and how it functions. And so it's not only talking about meeting large in a large gathering, it's also talking about meeting in a small gathering. So I want to read it again, and I want to show a couple of key things that point out this idea. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That and is super important, isn't it? Because that and says they were meeting together in the temple in a large gathering setting doing this, but then it says, and they were meeting in their homes and breaking bread and doing that as well day by day. And so what you see is that's starting to point to the fact that these two things are working in conjunction all the time. It's not one is better than the other. It's that both work together and they need to work together. <clears throat> so what you need to understand is the church was growing rapidly during this time. You, you start to read these big highlight sections that says, and a thousand people came to the Lord here and 3,000 people came to the Lord here. That's a lot of people coming to the Lord. You know what's hard to do? Get a thousand people in someone's house. I don't care how big that house is. It's going to be really hard to get a couple thousand people in your house. It's going to be really hard and taxing to make enough food to feed thousands of people. It doesn't make sense. Logically, you understand that like, if we're going to grow big, we have to grow small. And that is part of the key of the church. As we grow large as a group of people coming together and doing life, we are going to have to grow small. We are going to have to start to have these smaller pockets of people living out the thing that we're doing on a large scale as well, but more in depth. I was looking through the Bible this week. And I kept going, I need that passage. The, the pastor's always looking for the passage that proves his point. And you're like, I need the passage. I need the verse. I need the silver bullet verse that says, thou shall be in life group, so saith the Lord. And I go, ha, sinner, you're not in a group. That's your problem. Well, let me, let me just be really clear. That verse doesn't exist. <laughs> it's not there. They didn't call it life groups or small groups or community groups or whatever group you want to call it. It's just what they did. The reality is, yes, we could look at the Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 passage and said, you know, there are those that have neglected meeting together and you shouldn't do that. We could look at that. And that, that points to that idea, right? But the reality is this. There is a continual pattern in the early church that they were always together all the time. They were always doing life together. And so here's what I do when I'm trying to understand what God says about a given subject. I just read and take notes. So if we're talking about the early church. What book do you think I read through this week? Acts, exactly. You're all so smart. I love that. So I went to the book of Acts and I just wrote down references as I read. And I said, oh, you can see them meeting here. You can see them in groups here. You can see them in someone's home here. And so I've got a bunch of references. You can throw those up. 
Um, that's just me quickly going through the book of Acts, writing down references that revolve around that idea that you just see them always together, always loving on each other, always caring on each other, always talking about how they're learning and who they're growing with. And then I was thinking like, man, I know that it's not just in Acts. It's going to be other places as well. And so there's this funny thing that takes place with Paul. Paul has his like, uh, his Oscar award speech at the end of every one of his epistles, it feels like. He's always like, and I want to thank all these people. And I want to thank these people. He does it all the time. And it's actually great because it gives you a glimpse into his life and the relationships that he's made. And if you go to the ends of these particular books, what you'll find is he starts thanking individuals and he starts thanking households and gatherings of people that he did life with in that way. Even in in John, John does the same thing as he's talking about that to the church as well. And we just see this continual thread all the time of God's people in these pockets of communities doing things because the church understood how essential it was to meet together where they could really do life. And what they were really doing is they were coming to a place where they could truly, fully be known and know each other. And that's what's happening in these groups, being known and knowing others. There's this great passage in Acts 27 through 20, and I'll just kind of like paraphrase it. You can go and look it up later if you want. It's a passage that we read to our kids about falling asleep in church. And so really what it is, is this Paul comes to one of these life groups and he's meeting with these individuals. They're on the third floor and Paul is sharing and they're talking and they're eating and they're enjoying. Yes, I do need water. Um, And uh, there's this moment where they're all together and they're hanging out, and Paul kind of gets on this, this, you know, story that he's telling. And it goes till midnight. Now, that's late. I'm not going to keep you all here that long. But uh, the reality is that he just kept talking. And so what ends up happening, as it's getting late, there's this kid sitting in the windowsill. He's just kind of listening. He's like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. And he's sitting there. He's probably like the nice breeze coming in the evening. And what does he do? He falls asleep. And then he falls out three stories and dies. So the moral of the story is I'm watching all of you and I know when you fall asleep. And when you fall over, you might die. That's a very tall chair. And I don't want to have to try to resurrect anybody right now, okay? That's what I don't want to do. But the the funny part is this, is that as they're meeting and doing life together, he runs down and he's like, it's cool, everybody. He's like, "Uh, get up. And the kid gets up. They don't end. They go back in the room And then they talk until dawn. Guaranteed that kid never fell asleep in a sermon ever again. (laughs) But the whole point is this. Do you see how they did life together? Do you see how they were just, they wanted to be around each other because they loved each other. Like this idea of them serving and loving and caring for each other. See, there's benefits to being in these kinds of groups. There really is. Um, And I want to talk about a few of those, the things that we can see that take place. And then there'll be references. And again, please go and study those later. Write those notes down. But the first one is fellowship. This idea of being around each other, enjoying each other, caring. And like just, here's the thing. I call it our greatest strength and our biggest weakness. (laughs) I love our church. Our church, if you, we take surveys sometimes and we say, what's your favorite part about this thing? You're like, the fellowship. You always say the same thing. You guys like each other. 
You guys like to hang out with each other. And I love that you love to hang out with each other. I love that you love to spend time together on a regular basis. And you're like, that's great. It is great. If that's all that church is, there are much better clubs to join. I'll just tell you that right now. If that's all that you end up doing when you get together, you are missing out on so much more that God offers on so much more that he would want for your life to grow you and to strengthen you. Yes, fellowship is extremely important, but it can never be the only thing that we have going for us. I mean, there's a reason why we have time in the beginning to say hello and greet each other. It's not, it's not a transition time. It really isn't. We could do that without that. You love it. There's a reason why we have that room called Fellowship Hall. That is the name of that room. We want you guys to be interacting because we should interact. But the other thing that we see is that accountability takes place. That there is this thing going on in the lives of other believers where they are keeping each other accountable. We talked about this last week, this idea of like we at times as the church are coaches, right? We cheer each other on. We, we encourage each other. We li- Hey, you can do it. Like, At times, it is hard to live out the Christian faith. Amen? We have others walk alongside us to encourage us where it is difficult, where it is hard to live those things out. There are people in your group that are struggling potentially with some kind of sin, uh, some kind of area that they're trying to follow Christ, and it's hard. And at times, they would say, would you help keep me accountable? Meaning, I don't want to fail in this, but I'm having a really hard time. Would you come alongside me and ask me questions? Would you encourage me? Would you shoot me scripture that makes me believe truth? There are people that that just need to be accountable to know that like, hey, when, when lies come in, I need people to speak that truth to me. That's a big thing. There are those that like, hey, it's hard for me to come to group. It's hard for me to come to church. Would you just help, just call me out? I know I need to be there, but I'm having a hard time. Call me out. That's what we do. We keep each other accountable. We spur each other along so we can be who God wants us to be. Studying. Um, This is one that our church takes seriously, I believe, that we really want to study God's word. If you go to a life group, if you go to a smaller group, and you're not opening God's word, you are missing out on all that God has for you. Like, we, we say it all the time. This is, God's word is the thing that changes lives. It's not my opinions, my ideas. I say this really mean statement when I was younger, and I'm going to say it in a nicer way, hopefully, today. And I'd say things like this. I don't care what you think. I care what God thinks. And what younger Simon was trying to communicate was that if left to our own devices, we're going to lead ourselves astray. And we're going to believe things that actually aren't true. If God is perfect and sinless and holy in every single way, we should all be striving to care what God thinks about any given subject or any given thing in our lives. And so as these individuals, as we come together and study God's word, what we're doing is we are collectively submitting to that. I mean, how often does someone say, oh, I just feel like God doesn't love me. And I'm like, whoa, pump the brakes. (laughs) Hold on. What does God's word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it sure sounds like he loves you. It really sounds like he loves you. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. 
So we turn to God's word, we study God's word, we open God's word, we understand God's word so that we won't become really intelligent people, but that we can apply it to our own lives and the lives of others so they would see the light and walk in a way that glorifies God. They prayed. They prayed together as they struggled and hurt and were going through things in life. They lifted those prayers up to God. I mean, let's be honest. We know we can't do what we need to do in this world and we need the power of God to fill us to be able to let us do those things. And there's something powerful about a group of individuals saying, we can't do this, God, you can. They pray, they share prayer requests, they share hurts, they share brokenness. They share what's really going on in their life, knowing that God has the power to change, to convict, to draw in. It says that they cared for each other, constantly caring for each other. They were meeting tangible needs in the life of others. You know, I love that Jesus modeled this idea of caring for others, didn't he? He healed people, which you're like, it's so weird. Like he came to like save the world. He's healing all these people and they're gonna die anyway. So why would he even do that? Isn't it like a waste of power or energy? It's not. As a matter of fact, what he's doing in those moments is he's saying, I'm going to show you that I have the power to heal but this thing that I'm healing is such a small thing that needs to be healed. Truly, there's a spiritual healing that needs to take place in your life. And I'm giving you a small example of what I can do on a spiritual scale in your life because you need that so desperately. And it says that they served each other. I love when the church serves themselves. I love when people in their life groups serve You know how many cars I've worked on in my garage from people in my life groups. I just, hey, car's broken. I gotta change my brakes. I gotta change my oil. This, okay, bring it over. I got some tools. We'll figure it out. So we'll work on people. For a long time, some of you know that I used to be an air conditioning mechanic and that's what I, I did for a living. And every once in a while, I get a call like, hey, it's cold in our house. Um, can you come over? <laughs> of course. I'm like, I can't promise I'll fix it, but I'll come over. And I have saved a couple of Christmases by going over and getting the heater working at someone's house. But it's just because I had that gift. But everyone's got different gifts and skill sets, don't they? And you can use those, whatever God's blessed you with, to bless each other. And it's so much fun when you're in this small pocket of people, how you're all like pouring into each other's lives so they can benefit in a way where they go, wow, you're meeting these tangible needs because Jesus met a spiritual need in our lives. Well, what do we want for Grace Hills? What do we want this to look like at our church? Well, the first thing I want to say before I switch gears, if you look at that, that last list, uh, if you go back to that last slide where it has all those fellowship, accountability, studying, prayer, caring, and serving, do, do you understand what's really happening there? These life groups are modeling exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did every single one of these. He was in fellowship with his people to show that he's a relational God that loves them. He held them accountable by calling them out of sin and back to what it would mean to worship God fully. He communicated the truths of scripture to his people and studied God's word together. He prayed for his people. In the high priestly prayer, he prays for his disciples and for us. You realize that Jesus prayed for you? He prayed for you and, and, and what was going to come. And you realize that Jesus cared for us he cared for the needs that we had in our life as he healed people and he served us. And let me just say this. 
Jesus served us in such a profound way we should never, ever forget that when we were dead in our trespasses, distant from God, far from him, under his penalty of wrath for the way we have lived our lives in rebellion to him, that he came and lived that life that we couldn't live. That he took our place and took the penalty that we deserved. And that he openly gives his righteousness for living a perfect life so we could have that. He served us to the point of death, death on a cross so we could have life. Do you see how he's doing this in community? And so our hopes here at at our church or this, as we've kind of looked at what we want, is that we would be loving and building each other up deeply and intentionally. It's hard to build people up if you're not vulnerable, right? These pockets, these small groups allow us to be more vulnerable than we can in a large setting. I mean, most people don't stand up in a setting and say, I'm struggling with this. That's just not where that happens, is it? But we do start to see that in these smaller groups where we gather together, that we would build each other up intentionally living and doing things in a way that builds each other up, that we would spur one another on in our walk with Christ. As we see a brother and a sister that we would always desire for them and encourage them to keep growing in their faith, growing in their laying down of their old life and putting on the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. That we would meet real needs in the lives of others inside our group. That as we see the one another's in our group, that we would meet tangible needs in their life to care for them, to show them with our physical being that we love you enough to do this thing, to serve you in this way. The other one is to meet real needs in the lives of others outside of the group, that we would start to show the world around us what God's community looks like. And if you're wondering where you've heard this idea before, it's that that's what God did with the Israelites. I'm going to make this people group. I'm going to show you how they function and how they live together so others would see Yahweh, the God of the universe, and turn to him and worship him and give him glory as well. They were always meant to be a light and a beacon to the outside world. And when we live in this way, we are a light and a beacon to the world around us. You know what's great? Inviting non-Christians into your life groups and your small pockets because they get to go, who lives like this? Why are you guys caring for each other in this way? Why are you so involved in each other's lives? Even though it's messy and it's hard, like this is messy and hard when you're in lives, right? Yes. You know how I know that? Because everyone that Jesus loved betrayed him and left him. You don't think Jesus understands how hard it is to live in community? He's like, hey, remember that guy like betrayed you for some cheap cash and like, you know, had you go to a false trial and get like hung on a cross? Hey, remember when your good buddy, The Rock, decided to deny you three times? Hey, remember when John ran away naked because the guard showed up? Remember that? You don't think Jesus understands how hard it is to do life together, yet he still did life with them? The other thing is that we want to create a safe place for people to open up and share their lives. This is one where I think it's hard for us. We live in a society that shares everything and shares absolutely nothing at the same time. You sharing your bologna sandwich does not actually let me know who you are other than you pick poor meats to eat. That's all it tells me. That's all it tells me. 
We share so much stuff that's just fluff, don't we? We share so much that actually means nothing. Or we share so much that we are, that is our desire to look that way, but that's not really who we are. We don't share in a real way. We take 400 photos and go, no, no, this is the one. This one, this, this is what, this makes us look good. Definitely don't use that one. See, we need to have a safe place where we can actually share who we really are and what we're really going through. See, Jesus shared his life with his people. And what you see is as he's dealt with the disciples, they started sharing their brokenness and their heart, didn't they? Remember James and John, his mom's like, hey, can you be on the left and the right so you can be in power? This is a lot about your mom and a lot about you guys. You're like, yeah, mom, go, go talk to Jesus. Like there's a lot there. And so they started to share who they really were. As we do life together in the circle, we get to see who we really are. And as we do that, the hope that then precedes that would then be what? That we would extend and receive grace with one another. One of the first things I said to you when I came here as your pastor was this, I am going to fail you and you are going to fail me. But what we can do is when we do that is that we can extend grace to one another knowing that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. When we live this out and we share in this way, what we really get to do is we get opportunities to extend the same grace that God showed us to one another. And I want us to open God's word. I want us, it, when we go to our life group, and you could ask, we jump all over the Bible. We are in the Bible all over the place when we meet. Because someone will say something like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Or what about this? Or, you know, God said this here. That is how we love each other best, by loving each other with God's truth. We have to be in God's word. We have to study God's word. We have to know God's word. And the one thing that I would want for us, one of our hopes within this, is a multi-generational fellowship. I don't want clicks and pockets in our church. Well, the old people hang out here and the young people hang out here and the rich people hang out there and the poor people, well, they don't, they, they're on the street still. Like there's all these things that we think through, right? Like we make these pockets, but that's not what the church looks like, is it? That God is bringing all people together to be one family. And when you see that diversity, it actually glorifies God more when we come together. When we can put aside our differences and our backgrounds and our traditions and sit under Christ, that communicates something so loud to the God that unites and draws people in. That's what it does. Now, I understand that the largest place that we do this is in our life groups here at the church. I understand that's kind of like the, the, the main cruise ship that we use to do that. But it's not the only place. Like you have to, that's, that's not the only place where this is happening. We have multiple men's groups where they're doing this kind of discipleship, this kind of mentoring at different times of the week, in the morning and the evenings. We have men's ministry uh, doing this once a month where we come together and we do this. 
There's one-on-one meetings where, where different men and women get together and they do life on life and they talk about where they truly are. Our women's ministry, again, is just getting ready to launch. If, you, if you're looking for a place to get plugged in, I would say go sign up for the women's ministry. Here's my only caveat. Keep going. Go for the whole thing. Don't, don't just go, oh, it got tough. No, go for the whole If you're going to commit, commit to the 10 weeks. Do the 10 weeks. See what God does through that. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. Fighting for what's right is always going to be hard. The other places happens, and I will not forget them because they are fantastic, because Stephen's ministry does this. Stephen's ministry comes alongside other people, and they do life with people in these pockets where they become those cheerleaders. Grief Share does this. They, they focus it on people that have had loss, and they come alongside them, and they do life together in these small pockets. It, it may be that you need to be in a couple of these things, because different things are meeting different needs, and that's good. My takeaway, it's not a complicated takeaway. Sign up for one of these things. Take your contact card out. Write down, I need to be a part of Grief Share. I need to be a part of Stephen's ministry. And and I would just say this. I would really encourage you to put down, I want to be in a life group. I'm not in a life group. I've been putting it off. I want to be in a life group. Please sign me up. Justin will contact you this week, and we will find a group that fits where you are. Or if we have too many people, we'll just start a whole new one. I have no problem with that. But the thing that I find that keep people from doing what I just said is this. People don't want to be in community because they're afraid of truly being known. That's the reality. We are afraid of truly being known. And the fear is this, that if I, if I take down my walls and I let you into my life and I'm fully known, you will reject me. That is the fear. I'm going to say something, and you're going to be like, whoa, I'm not in on that. Like, I'm out. And then they would push you away. And now the fear is this. Now I'm not in community. And now I have no way to get into community. The thing that we desire creates the fear that keeps us from doing the thing that we actually need in life. And what we have to do in those moments is this. We have to hold that thought and that idea up to the gospel is what we have to do. Think about what the gospel is. God knows everything about your life. Every thought you've had, every word you've said, every action you've done, and everything that's been done to you. He sees it all. So there's a God that fully knows everything about you. And what did he do? He saw you in your broken state. He saw you when you were disconnected from him. And he sent his son to come to live the life that you couldn't, to die in your place so you wouldn't have to, to give you his righteousness that you couldn't produce on your own, that you did not earn, that you did not deserve. And he brings you to him. See, when we live in this kind of community, Every time we meet, we have an opportunity to be a light of the gospel to those around us. And I would say this, I know our church pretty well. I would be in shock if you let people into your life if they pushed you away. And if it did happen, I'm gonna have words with people (laughs) because that's who we are, right? 
We are broken in our sin and separated from God and God brings us in and we get to do this. We live this out. Two questions as we end, I'm gonna bring the band back up here is this. Where will you do this kind of life? Where will you be vulnerable like this? Because the Christian community should be the one that does this the best. They are the ones that have the Holy Spirit transforming them to extend that grace and mercy. Everywhere else is a crapshoot because they don't have that same thing. They don't have the Spirit of God. My second question is this as we end. Are you letting people really know you? The freedom that you desire to be fully known and fully loved is by Jesus, and he's given us that through the church. That's where the, that's where the magic happens when we do life in this way. That's where the freedom comes from that we get to experience. And God wants you to experience that day by day. And as the world watches this kind of community exist, it draws them in like a moth to a flame. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing some songs. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message this morning that it's, hopefully it's been encouraging and edifying to our people that they would understand at the core of community is the heart of the gospel. That nothing shows your love more in this way of what you've done for us than when we live this thing out. That when we show this to each other, that it's essential for us if we want to be the men and the women you've called us to be when we do this. Lord, for my brothers or sisters who are, have just been so afraid to be fully known, that they would reject that and know that they already are fully known by you. And they would allow themselves to come and be a part of a group of people that would walk alongside them in this manner that we talked about this morning. And they would experience your love and your mercy and your grace. That they would tangibly see and experience that in a way that would transform them where they could have the freedom and the healing that they desire. We love you. We pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.